Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. إجماله صلى الله عليه وسلم للمعدودات ثم تفصيلها. One easy way to teach a lesson is to list things by numbers. That today's class will have three main points. Today I'd like to share with you two important lessons. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم at times would do this. Therefore, attracting the attention of the listener to those exact five points. And it also helps with memorization. Now, the person knows that alamat al ism are this many, alamat al fi'al are this many, and alamat al haq is everything else. So now it's easier for you to remember that you have eight things to look after, 12 things to look after. Similarly, when you're learning grammar, to teach you. Madhu'at are these, mansulat are these, majrulat are these. Now every person knows that majrulat are only two. Mudafilay and hatunja. So now that you know there's only two things, your mind is locked to that number. For those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, it's basic Arabic grammar. But since you know that these are the numbers, even if your mind slips one, you still know that there is one outstanding because you only remember the other three, the other four. It helps categorize things, specifically with younger folks or people that are new to a subject. Rather than presenting an endless ocean of knowledge to them that has no end at all, and they're being told that we are, you are now about to be taught Islam. What? About the whole Islam? How's that going to work? Then you tell them that, you know, we will teach you Islam like this, that there are five pillars of Islam. So the Bunyan Islam comes, narration becomes uh, an effective tool for teaching Islam to younger children. Because if they forget everything else, they know that there are five things that I must remember. This very same approach is used when teaching Islam to non-Muslims, that we have five pillars of Islam, six tenets of faith. So the number really helps out a lot. So the Prophet at times when educating, he would utilize this approach, that he would list a number first, that this is what you need to look out for, and then the Prophet ﷺ would break that number down to explain each point one half time. Yes, go ahead. The Muslim reported on the authority, authority of Abu who said, the Messenger of Allah said, May his nose be rubbed in dust, may his nose be rubbed in dust, may his nose be rubbed in dust. He was asked, Who, O Messenger of Allah? He said, Whose parents, both or one, reach old age with him, but he does not enter the enter paradise. I think that reminds us to do with the previous narration, previous chapter. Well, we can cover that as well before we move on. So this reminder that he decided belongs to the previous chapter. And the Chapter heading for that chapter is the Prophet. So the Prophet would vaguely mention an outcome, 
And then he would explain what the outcome was. That person is foolish. That person has not believed. This person is a believer. Wallahi la yubi. Wallahi la yubi. Wallahi la yubi. That person is not a believer. Not a believer. Now because the, the cause behind the statement is vague, the mind begins to wonder that who is this person? So then after putting the bait there, now Rasulullah speaks and he says, that the one whose neighbors are not free of their heart, that person, uh, Iman, is not safe. So similarly, uh, in our last week's class, while explaining that, we talked about the narration where a body was taken past Rasulullah and he repeated and says, wajaba, wajaba, wajaba. And then another body was taken past. He said, Wajaba, Wajaba, Wajaba. And later on, the Prophet of Allah explained that for the first person, the fire held. The first person, paradise, had become necessary. For the second person, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given that person the fire held. So, first using a vague outcome and then explaining the cause and the reason behind it. The cause behind the different outcomes, we explained that in our last class. So, I won't repeat it again. But we heard of this riwayah. That Abu Hurairah narrates that may that person's nose be mixed with soil. It's a way of saying that person be disgraced, that person is truly a loser. They said, who, who are you talking about? Who is this ultimate loser? The one who finds his parents in old age, one of them or both of them? One of them or both of them. And still does not find his way in paradise. Because earning your jannah through your parents while they reach an old age is such an easy task. You have motivation to serve them because they are your parents. Being patient with them only makes logical sense because they did that for you. This makes even more sense in a situation where only one of the parents are around, possibly because someone passed away, or in a case where only your father or only your mother raised you, then in that case, you must remember the sacrifice of that mother, the hard work that father put in. You never forget it. So Rasulullah teaching method here is to catch that attention by making a big statement and then clarifying. This particular chapter teaches us a similar lesson, but now Rasulullah is quantifying things. That there is a number. So the first narration he narrates, Value five before five. Value five things before five things. Shababaka Kabala Harami, Wasihataka Kabala Sakhari, Wabinaka Kabala Fakhari, Wafarabaka Kabala Shuhuri, Wahayataka Kabala Mokhi. The Prophet tells us value five things before five. So now there's ambiguity on both ends that value five things before five things. What are these ten things in total that we're talking about? So the Prophet clarified Shababaka Kabala Harami. Make use of your young age before you reach old age. As you move on in life, you may think that things get easier, but they don't. The reality is opposite. Responsibilities increase. When you're young, you worry about yourself. As you get older, you now have to worry about a generation that exists under you, your children. And then when you reach very old age, you have a, you have a third, a second generation that's alive. And you're worried about all of them now too. Your concerns only increase person's health only deteriorates. So the energy to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you need to have it is complete today with you. Today you could run a marathon if you wanted to. You can make your way to Harak if you wanted to. You can go to Makkah Makarama do five co-ops a day. You have the physical energy. When we went for Hajj, one of my roommates was a uh, very lovely, pious, righteous man. We used to call him Anurbai. The group consisted of students from the mothers, exclusive students and teachers. And there were a few people who would join along. It was a beautiful group because we had a large 
body of people who are all connected to Ali. And there were these rich conversations that would occur from the moment we departed from England until the moment we came back. So much to observe in our teachers and learn from them. And then there was this unrelated Greek Jonas. He was the cook in the madrasa and also the person who was responsible of uh, maintaining the grounds. So I had the honor of being his roommate. He was a very close student of Shaykh Yusuf Actually, the first person that Shaykh Yusuf gave to Jazza investment. But he was someone that he trusted him a lot. Even though he spent his life cutting grass and cooking food, but he said this is a righteous man. So I was his roommate. One day I noticed he was limping. So I said, I'm not like Allah, what happened to you? He was a heavy set guy. So what happened to you? He said, I have a goal that during our short stay in Mecca, we were there for maybe four or five days, five, six days. During these days, I made a goal to do 40 dollars. Now, five days, if you were to do the math, we were there for five days, and he's trying to do 40 dollars. How many dollars is that a day? Eight. And each of these eight dollars consists of how many rounds? Seven rounds. So we were on day four-ish, and his feet were tearing up. So he had tied a fabric around his foot. And he was doing it. He still went to do it. He did all He was a tank, very tough person. And he said to me, I remember, he said that when you get old, you won't be able to do these things. His son was my classmate to give you eight lessons. His younger son was my classmate, not as old as his younger son was my classmate, Zachariah. So he said to me that when you're young, you can do these things as you get older. It's harder. When I was young, Every time I visited Mecca, I used to do 40 kilometers. It was a goal that I had given myself, but I didn't feel that I had to go up of the city if I left by doing two kilometers. I came from so far, and all I did was spend time in the hotel. She was one of those people. I lost some kind of the biggest to live my life in the Fisher's life. There was one lesson that I learned from Shit, uh, from Anwar, uh, from Shit, Anwar, who's from Anwar Wayne. One lesson I learned from him. One time, I asked him this question. I said that you were one of the most senior students of Sheikh Yusuf Ahmadullah. From the earliest time, you were by his side. But in my years of studying in the madrasa, I've never seen you even talk to him. I've never seen the two of you actually have a face-to-face -face conversation. And you were his first student and one of the closest people to him. Well, then Anwarbai said something to me which really struck me. Maybe be with me for the rest of my life. He said to me that I really desire to go and talk to him. But I know that when I when anyone approaches a sheikh and talks to him, he has to like almost posture and put energy into speaking back with that person. It takes effort. And I find it unbearable that I put my teacher even in the smallest amount of inconvenience. So I suffice with knowing that he's making a lot. And the guidance he gave me decades ago, I stick to that. And my goal is to follow that through for a long time. That's a big lesson. Because when I was young, the goal was that you sit in front of the shape as much as you can. You ask the questions out until you've been told, strike, 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 stop asking questions. And for this man, it was a whole different perspective that he didn't want to put his own shape at inconvenience. So he stuck with the guidance of his teacher and gave him decades ago. It teaches us that little rain with a lot of amal will lead you to your destination. And utilize your health prior to becoming ill. Utilize your wealth, value your wealth before poverty comes. Everyone that has wealth will tell you. That it comes in most. Talk to the people that have lived in this dunya for a few more decades, and they'll tell you that a few years back I had a lot of wealth, now I have nothing. Or I had nothing, and now I have. It just comes and goes. As we learn in the Quran, Wallahu yaqbidu yabsu. For those of you that are going on winter break shortly, utilize your free time before you get busy. So when you go home and you have to find all during your winter, 
ask yourself what needs to be done and how can you utilize it. Maybe you don't fit with your parents. Maybe you're doing some revision of the Quran. Maybe you're just spending more time in the masjid. Maybe utilizing that time to visiting family members. Or if there's something else that you think is necessary, maybe you catch up on jogging or whatever it is that you need to do. The Hajjid Salah is a great thing to include into your routine the moment your schedule opens up. Because we all know that once things get hectic, it's hard to do it. Sleeping late, waking up early, the body exhausts out, it gets tired. Even then, you should pray the Hajjid. But during your break, you should not accept anything short of that. That I now need to push myself and And the summary of it all is make most of your life before you pass it. The second thing I have Bukhari and Muslim reported on the authority of Abu, Abu Layla that the Prophet said, A wife is married for four reasons. That when a person selects a spouse, there are four things they look for. Some ulama have viewed this to be prescriptive, while others say this is more descriptive. Some of the wives say this is prescriptive. And it's prescriptive, what that means is that these are four things you need to look for in a spouse. All four of these things need to exist. On the other hand, some ulama view this as descriptive. What that means is, generally when people look for their spouse, they look for four things. What are the four things? Limaliha. They look for wealth. Walihasabiha. Walijamaliha. Walininiha. Her lineage, her beauty, and her faith. Take the one. So, in the situation that is descriptive, the Prophet is telling us that people look for all sorts of things when they're looking to get married. You need to look for someone that is religious. Find someone who carries their being to their heart. Now, this is another discussion that unfortunately many of us don't understand what it means to look for someone with being. In our mind, the idea is that if they're praying for salah, they have deen. But the salah is a part of the deen, not the, not, the, not the other way around, where the entire deen is summarized in salah. A person can be praying salah in a flaw in a hundred different places. That doesn't mean they have deen. That means they have a part of it. Right? Um, but salah is definitely a strong marker to look for. The hijab is definitely a strong marker to look for if that's what you're interested in. Right? If you're looking for some deen. But just because someone has one aspect of being, the being doesn't mean to have it all. What I'm more interested in knowing is if that person has love for the being, love for the symbol of Islam. If this person actually takes the word of the Prophet of Allah seriously, if this person is willing to make change in their life because of the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we are looking for potential in people, not perfect. Perfect people don't exist in the world. They ended with the passing of the Prophet Muhammad. For everyone else in the world, we look for potential. Where do we see it? So we talk to people, we ask them questions, we listen to their tone, we pay attention to the way they respond, the words they use, we look at their adab, how they raise their voice when they're talking or if they keep their voice soft when responding. These are things we look for. That business person understand the prophetic model. Look for potential in people. The outcome will come. It'll come in life. Okay, next generation. Next chapter. So in this chapter, the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, is pointing out that sometimes Rasulullah said, bear in mind, until now we were talking about different techniques of Rasulullah. And so many, we covered 30 chapters. Now he's entering into some long form, uh, long format, long form, where the Prophet would actually pair things together, pair presentation together, not presentation to be powerful style. But you know, it was structured. Rasulullah was giving a longer message. This is also a part of the need that when the time is right, you don't go breathe, rather you go all out. You give some extra information. So Ta'aleemu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bil wa'di wa tazi. Yes, go ahead. 
cautioning and reminding. Cautioning and reminding were amongst were among the most important and most prominent methods the Prophet used in his teaching. This is a reflection of the orders of the Quran wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Remind because reminding benefits the believers. You are only to remind. Many of the Prophet's teachings were derived from his admonishments and general sermons. The great Imam Muhammad al-Kashmiri elaborated on the perspective of, of reminding in the context of the Prophet's way, ways of teaching. He also distinguished between the functions of the preacher and that of the teaching scholar. Due to its benefits, I would like to quote some of it here. Preachers and teachers have two distinct functions. The preacher's objective is to involve emotions of his, of his audience and as such use expressions and gestures that excite and motivate them. He does not pay attention in, uh, to minutiae of the issue or its prerequisites. He will promise and scare, admonish and entice and order and forbid. He does not care about details. This is the job of the wa'id and the wa'id has a role. That the responsibility of the life is to stir the emotions, fear in that person's heart, bring joy to that person, give them the image of Jannah in Jahannam. You look at, for example, you read that book and you'll fall into tears. It's one of the first books. It's one of the first books that our teachers recommended for us to read to learn how to deliver lectures. It's an Arabic. Actually, there's an English translation, but it's not. It's a short sermon, three, four pages long, each sermon. Very, very, very powerful stuff. It'll shake you to your core. You won't be able to sleep at night. He's a glass liar. The narration, the way he puts them together, the way he pieces the whole argument together, it leaves an imprint on the heart. So the wife is very good with words. He has to use expressions that convey the message. Every statement of yours has the impact of penetrating further. So you have to be careful and think, select your words. And the why doesn't need to focus too much on the details of each masala. They don't need to give you like, and this condition, and that, this applies here, and it doesn't fit in this scenario, and it does fit in that scenario, because that kills the vibe of what they're trying to accomplish. You have to understand that when you're delivering the message, you need to choose a lane. If it's going to be a need then commit to it. Then make sure you are conveying this message with its technicalities so the issue is properly explained. Or if you're going to uh, serve it in the role as a, someone who is alive and someone who offers reminders, then make your reminder work. Now, there are some people in the world who know how to tread both lines at once. And they do exist. You'll hear someone amount or very good at speaking and they're phenomenal with words, yet at the same time, they're so embedded in their knowledge that no matter what kind of reminder they're offering, they will always leave the really gem behind. They will leave that where required, where needed, they will engage with the technicality. But you have to bear in mind, even if they want to, they can't go full technical because it'll take away from the subject matter. Are you guys understanding this? So you have to be careful when you're choosing your lane. What is the purpose of this? With yes. <clears throat> Teachers and scholars, on the other hand, would like to review the issue and teach us what they know, what they know about it. Applying this issue is not of an immediate concern. They use a language that is precise and unambiguous. A language the wife is trying to get people to do aman. The faqih and the alim doesn't necessarily isn't really concerned about getting the amal now, they're more concerned about conveying the message. You guys understand this? Their job is to convey the information, convey the true message. Their job isn't at this moment to really motivate and spiritually energize people that go to the Hajj tonight. That's not what they're looking to do. Their job is to explain to you what are 
the Yudhakirin on the Shunna number of Raka for Tahajjud Salat. In Tahajjud Salat, is it preferred to do longer Qiyam or longer Sujood? In Tahajjud Salat, you end with, with it, and if you do pray with it and you want to pray again, why do you do that? What part of the night is dedicated for Tahajjud Salat? What are the surahs that were preferred by Rasulullah If someone wanted to pray in shifts of four instead of twos in Tahajjud Salah, is that acceptable or not? Because well, that's the sort of stuff they're going to focus on because that's their domain. وَالثَّانِيَةُ وَبِيْقُتُ الْمُعَلِّمِ وَالْفَقِيمِ وَهُوَ يُرِيدُ تَلْقِيرَ الْعِلْمِ وَبَيَارَ الْمَسَلِ وَأَمَّا الْعَمَلُ بِهَا فَبِمَعْزَلِ عَنْ نَظْرِهَا وَيُحَقِّقُ الْبَيَانَ وَيُلَقِّقُ الْأَنَا that as far as doing amal on that, that's not something that he's concerned on anymore. That's now the task of the wise to get people motivated and excited to do amal. Again, there is a line in the middle that you can cut, but each of these have their own departments. Go ahead. They use a language that is precise and unambiguous, a language that will convey the meaning as precisely as possible. They mention all pertaining facts, and if they are to preach, they will use these facts as tools of their preaching. Religious leaders play the role of the preacher more than the teacher. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you are only to remind, you are not to control them. However, they use a mixture of both as they want to shake off our complacency and instigate us to act. The natural way for this uh, to do this is for the leader to lead by examples Example, as is the case with the Prophet whose guidance was mostly taken from his actions. Whatever he ordered people to do, he will be the first uh, person to learn. He, he will do first and people will learn from his actions and thus did not need formal teaching and training. If his way was only theoretical, Islam would not have been propagated. When he ordered the believers to do something, he would use instinctive language and simple terms without inundating them with detail. He simply asked them to do their best to follow these orders. In turn, the companions did their utmost to follow these orders without splitting hairs or being fussy about details. Tirmidhi ibn Majah and Abu Dawood reported on the authority of, of Abdurrahman ibn Amr al-Sulami and Hudr ibn Hujr, who said, we went to Al-Arbab ibn Usariya. Uh, we greeted him and said, we have come as visitors and learners and to see how is your health. Al-Arabaw said, one said, one day the Messenger of Allah led us in prayers and then he turned back to us and gave us a very eloquent sermon that brought tears to our eyes. Now Rasulullah is using this approach to and a whole message is being delivered. very passionate and eloquent with his words. And the result of that was that eyes were pouring tears. And hearts trembling. as if you're giving a spare mouth. So much passion, so much energy. So if this is that, what poverty can you give us? What commitment do you want from us? Some of you are far. فَعَلِيكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَافَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ تَمَسَّكُوا بِهَا وَعَظُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالْمَوَاجِبِ الْمَوْمَكِ وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ قَالَةٍ In this advice, the Prophet said that my command to you is to be conscious of Allah and to be obedient even if person leading you is a black-colored slave. But even if it's someone that you may not like, racism <laughs> exists. There wasn't so much racism among the Arabs, but there was some racism. But there definitely were prejudices that they held against others. They did others to be inferior. The red tone was the golden tone. So even if it's someone that you don't like, that they are appointed as your amid, you listen to them. This is a problem that we have in our world. 
that everyone just wants what they think is right. They don't understand the process that if someone is appointed as a mean, even if you don't like it, a simple of you obey that This is a big lesson. In our mind, there's this thought that if I view it to be correct, then I shall wage war against anyone that's above me and skip all process and any formalities that exist there. Now, I know the other side of the argument right away is, what about the hadith of Rasulullah that one who sees evil should stop it with their head or with their tongue and with their heart. That hadith is correct too. That hadith is also correct. But Rasulullah he did also say with your heart. Because sometimes that's the method you need to use. That you're not supposed to see something. It can cause you that. Or if you're going to say it, you say it within a gathering. Otherwise, if it was wiser and fuck to always say something publicly, no matter what the circumstances were, then we would have a very different story on the way the Sahaba dealt with problems during their lives, specifically during the Umayyad period. It would have been a very different story. For those of you that are familiar with history, may understand the reference that I make. So the Prophet says, You will see a lot of problems in those who live after you. So, how do you get through? This messy world. And the prescription of the Prophet that follows will remain the prescription to dealing with sticky, tricky times until the end of this world. That whenever you feel that it's getting overwhelming, when you feel that truth is no longer objective, it's now become subjective. I'm not sure what's right and wrong anymore. Every day I open up my news feed and I'm being fed, this is the truth. And then the whites say, this is the truth. And the Republicans say, this is the truth. Democrats say this is the truth. And you keep going between these two until your brain is fried and you're not sure what to do anymore. You confuse out of your existence. So then the Prophet of Allah says, body Come and cling on to the tradition of your Prophet. And the path and the way of the right the guided ones. The Muhammad is referring to Abu Bakr Umar Ali firmly What does that mean? Bite. Bite something. So on to it, not with your tanaya not even your tawahim. Which one? Nawajib. Right at the back, the molar. Fight onto the back because once the person bites on with the molar, what happens? Not letting go. You're not letting go now. It's not coming out. And then the Prophet says, avoid innovative matters for all innovation. Everything new is a bid'ah, and every bid'ah is misguidance. There's some discussion here, but it's not for this class. We covered the issue of bid'ah in great detail while covering the you can reference the corresponding narration in the recordings. Go ahead. Next chapter. This is chapter number 32. So now we talked about Mu'ayah, which is just giving advice. Now that advice is broad. You can go in different directions, different approaches to it. Now it's as if within advice, the Prophet use different approaches. One of them is what we call Tarheeb and Tarheeb. Tarheeb, is to incentivize someone. To incentivize someone to do something. So if you take out the garbage, I will incentivize you by giving you five dollars. And if you do this, this will be the outcome. Um, it's powerful. People need motivation. Why am I doing something? In the world's most ideal scenario, we wouldn't need motivation for obedience the fact that Allah is our love and we are His servants with you. In an ideal situation. And we should aspire to head there. That the league will always be there, and that doesn't mean that we ever turn away from it. The Prophet of Allah gave us something as an incentive. It is very important that we always remember 
But in addition to that incentive, the ultimate cause of obedience is the amal. But I will do what I'm doing because there is a command of Allah directed towards me, and there is no need for any other thing. That's it. End of discussion. There's an amal of Allah. So, and the second is tarheed. Tarheed means to warn some person, admonish them, that if you do this, this will be the outcome. It's important that you mix the two. That you use this and a little bit of that. The Quran has beautiful imagery of Jannah, but it also has daunting images of the fire of whatever the book. Relying only on one could lead to a catastrophic outcome. If you focus just on tarheeb without any tarheeb, that it almost encourages the person to, to for, it leads the person to forget about the possibility of punishment. Tarheeb reminds you that you're accountable, that yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a Rahman Rahim. Right? That inform them that I am forgiving and merciful. However, the punishment of Allah is also very severe. It's in between both. That we tell people that if you pray salah, this is the virtue of it. The example of one who prays salah is like a person who bathes to a river that passes by their house five times a day. But the people who do sajda, their forehead will shine. Those who do wudu, their limbs will shine. For every step towards the masjid, there is a reward. Uh, close as a person is to Allah is while they're in sajda. When a person says, come and say, When a person says, the malaika come to receive that praise. These are all amazing virtues, and there's so many. But at the same time, we must never forget the warnings of the Prophet. And when a person prays salah without doing their wudu properly and without doing the ruku and salud properly, when he finishes his salah, his salah says, um, that you treated me like a dirty rag, and Allah did the same to you. I hope you get wasted on the day And that same thing, Rasulullah said. Uh, and on the other hand, when a person does the wudu properly, giving attention to the and deciding, you know, with heart, at the end of that prayer, that salah says, May Allah preserve you. Keep care. So there's a way there's a tahib there, a warning that if you don't do this right, there's accountability with Allah. A little bit of both. This is important. If you focus just on the warnings, then what happens? People lose their love. What else? I don't think they're saying he's scared. I agree, they get terrified. Many of us grew up like that. Anything you did wrong, you know, your parents said, you're going to Jahannam. You didn't put on right, Jahannam. You didn't eat with the right hand, Jahannam. Didn't put the right shoe on first, Jahannam. And then when you keep hearing that again and again, for years, what happens to the mind and heart of the person? You start feeling very lonely and you lose confidence that this is always going to end bad. There's no good scenario here. And that can either lead into a horrific state, or in the worst case scenario, maybe push them away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give us more than what. In this equation, the prophetic model and also the Quranic model is to lean a little bit more on the glad tidings side. You guys understand this? To lean a little bit more on the glad tidings side. Allah says, 
first mentions Mubashira, that we sent to as one who gives black eyes. One of the and then secondly he mentions and one who warns people too. Okay. So the Prophet occurred one of the most effective methods the Prophet used when educating was he would encourage them to do good and warn them from the evil. The Prophet with his method of encouraging the Prophet would mention the reward. If you do this, this will be the reward. This will be the So much virtue there regarding giving charity. And the Prophet tell us the benefit that if you pray Salah, this will be the fine. That will be the fine. This is another benefit for you. So many benefits that they are for you. And the Prophet would warn people and prevent them from being evil by mentioning the punishment of sin and also uh, informing the people of the harm that will come if they engage in those actions. Under this particular uh, chapter, the author of does not mention any particular riwayah. And it makes sense because it's just too much to mention. You guys understand? If you went to even, where do you start? It's just, it's just too much to mention. But for those of you that are interested in this genre of hadith, um, you're looking for books that consist of Allah and Allah. Virtues and deeds. is a beautiful resource in this regard. Similarly, I think the most popular one, the most popular book on Tarahib al Tarahib is Al Mundari. Imam Abu Muhammad Zafiuddin Al Mundari. They just refer to him as Habra Mundari. His book is called At-Targheeb Wa-Targheeb. This is a book that every person should have, have a copy of. It's a very good book. And the, these, the more recent editions actually have the Khrid at the bottom of the reference and narration and authenticity. It's a good thing to keep an eye on as well. For those of you who have access to the Arabic language, Al-Mundri's At-Targheeb Wa-Targheeb is necessary. When I was Imam in Chicago, I would try to do Ta'aleem of this book after Fajr Hashem. This, this is a book true. All the Nehemiahs are there. After the Nehemiahs are there. Okay, go ahead. We're going to do the next chapter. Chapter 32. Ta'aleemuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bil qasasi wa akhbar al-ma'in. So we're talking about lecture format, right? So one of the things that you have under lecture format is warnings, admonitions. By the way, that Hafid al-Mundari book is translated in English. You'll have to check what the translation is. I don't recall from the top of my head what it's called, but if you search for it, you'll find it online. Um, now, another method or another uh, tool to use when putting your lecture together, your talk together, that use stories. Stories are beautiful because if the story is sound, it can take a very complicated issue and present it in front of you in a living form. When you have technical information, it's kind of like this raw ingredients. And then when you work it into a story, you now have a meal out of it. It's so much easier to look at a meal where everything is presented perfectly all together versus standing in front of the pantry with all the raw ingredients in front of you because you're overwhelmed how it makes sense out of all this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, 
for intelligent folks, there are lessons in stories. Stories are a very good tool. I think they should be utilized, um, specifically when teaching younger folks. Because even though the moral of a story may slip them, but if they remember the story, when they reach adulthood or maturity, they can go back and connect them. But it can also be such a waste if your stories are moralless, like all these Disney movies and all the other garbage that our kids uh, learn, and all the poems they learn. You know, my son came back about what's the moral of Humpty Dumpty? It's a lot of women. You're asking me what the, story, what the moral of the story of Humpty Dumpty is. Like, what are kids supposed to learn about Rapunzel? Like, what's the epiphany? <laughs> but on the other hand, when they hear the stories, uh, if they hear stories that have meaning in them, it, you know, obviously, Quranic stories are the best one. There's no question about that. Stories about the Adam Sanat, hands down. But even aside from that, if you were to even create a story to demonstrate a lesson, if you were to just make one up, it could be profound, but you need to put thought into it. And it'll convey a message that will always be remembered. I recall when we were students, our teacher was trying to teach us the um, so while teaching that to us, he shared a pissa. He said, you know what, Allah is sure, but he cared probably not sure. He said that when Khalil Nahdi passed away, the famous, the famous grammarian, that when he passed away, uh, he was a, a top grammarian in the Arabic language, the top one. So he said, when Khalil Nahdi passed away, the Malaika came to him in the grave. You know the story? They came to him in the grave and they said, Man Rabbuk. So then he said to the Malaika, Man Rabbuk. So the Malaika said to him, Man Rabbuk. He said, Man Rabbuk. They got upset. Allah said, He's not answering. Allah said, What do I want? So he said, I gave the answer. They asked, Man is the I give also. Man Rabbuk, who's your Lord? I said, Man Rabbuk, Allah be Rabbuk. The one who is your Lord is the one who is my Lord. You understand Arabic. The, the words are the same, but they come in uh, different meanings. Right? So now, we'll walk out again. You remember this, remember the, this masala of, similarly, there is a statement they teach children when um, um, exposing them to the different types of mansubat. Mansub is a state of a noun in the Arabic language. A noun can either be mansub, mansub or majroon. So to teach them the mansubat, the different types of objects in a sentence, they, they concocted a statement. Now this statement has all the different types of mafoon in there. And it's a little funny as well. You know? Dude got beaten up. For some reason, the Arabs made Zayd the subject in every sentence. And the selected word for all the examples was always beating it up. No, Zayn was a hitter actually. Amr was beating up. It's always Zara by Zayn and Amr. Zayn Amr was always beating it Okay. فَعَلِيمُهُ بِالْقَصَصِ وَأَخْبَارِ الْمَعْضِينَ This is something we find a lot in the Quran. This methodology. That the Quran teaches us through examples. Remember the Quran is not a story. It's not telling a story, it's teaching us through stories. So the details that were irrelevant to the lesson are usually not mentioned. Any detail mentioned in the Quran, any detail mentioned in the Quran is relevant to the story. I was traveling with somebody, someone came and mentioned something about he was skeptical of the whole story of Musa and Khan, which is really weird, but anyway, and it's in the Quran. So he said, oh, there were two people, and all of a sudden they became one person, and you know, he was with his companion, and then all of a sudden it becomes one person, and then the one person meets another person, and this whole thing doesn't make any sense. And I thought to myself, wow, that is super shallow. If you follow it, it clearly makes sense. 
It really does. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the part of the story that's relevant for that part. With Qala Musa al-Fatahu. So Musa al-Islam was with his companions because that was the relevant part of the story. Why? Because there was a mistake occurred and it wasn't at the hand of Musa al-Islam, it was at his hands. As soon as his correction is made, he leaves the story. Not in the Quran anymore. Why? Because that person, some say it was the companion of Musa al-Islam, which in case we say, you know, he was not a part, uh, he was not a central part of the message, so Allah would have let not mention him anymore. Who is that important? The person who Musa al-Islam meets with. So the focus of the whole story is then on these two people. The Quran is not a storybook. A storybook, a history book, is focused on dates, names, people, and places. That's not what the Quran is. But this is an important lesson because when you're teaching a lesson, you have to ask yourself are you teaching history or are you teaching a lesson to a story? Specifically for parents and Sunday students, for Saturday school teachers, or even Quran teachers. When you're trying to teach Sino, because that's a common subject we teach, right? The question is, am I trying to teach lessons from Sira or am I actually teaching the Sira itself? Because if I'm teaching Sira, which is prophetic biography, as a subject, now I need to really zoom in on all the details. We need to know who was involved in this bayah, who was involved in this jihad, how many people were in that jihad, what was the cause behind the jihad, and everything. But if I'm teaching lessons from the Sira, I don't have to spend 20 minutes talking about the date of the first revelation. I can jump straight into Malahara. Is that clear? And I've heard this complaint from students before, that's why I bring it up. But they say that when I go to Sunday school, I feel overwhelmed by the information and the details. It kind of makes sense. Like if you're coming just three hours a week, maybe focusing a little less on the, the finer detail and more on the greater picture and the lessons that you can from this and see how I get as well. The details come with a time of life. Until then, focus on the greater message. We'll stop here. We'll stop here, inshallah. We didn't read any riwayah from this chapter. There are three or four narrations that I'd like to read, inshallah. And then we'll uh, move on to the next chapter. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq and allows us to amal upon it. It's a quick announcement. We will not have class on uh, Tuesday. It's next Tuesday, we won't have class. Yeah, we won't have class this next Tuesday, the Tuesday after. What, what's, the, what's the date on the Tuesday after? Is it the second or third? Second? We're going to have class in the second. I travel to Toronto tomorrow for the, uh, the conference that happens at Eagle Yeah, so I'm going to be traveling tomorrow for the conference in Canada. It goes on until Sunday, and then they've asked me to teach an intensive there as well. I'll be there for another seven days teaching.